that being said, we're going to spend the next 10 weeks, it might be 9 or 10 sermons within 10 weeks, on the book of Ephesians. On the book of Ephesians. A, a good friend of mine, uh, he once said that there's so much to be rejoiced, so much to be learned, and so much to be lived in the book of Ephesians. And my prayer, and I hope yours is the same, is that Mount Vernon will always be known as a church that is alive in Christ. That is alive in Christ. So that being said, please open your Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to work through the whole first chapter this week. And, and I'm sure there are things that, that, uh, that I, we won't be able to cover. But uh, we are going to go through chapter 1 this week. And I don't have the PowerPoint clicker. So maybe you could click for me through the slides if you don't mind. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed, or were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. 
Father, we don't live in fear this morning of someone breaking down our doors. We don't have to meet in secret. Instead, Lord, we, we have invitation cards and we can boldly proclaim your name without being afraid. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you as Pastor Paul reminded us last week that you gave us truth and we don't have to make that. Father, we pray that your truth is communicated today. May your words be spoken. May your words be heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So since this is the first sermon in the book of Ephesians, it's, it's important to have a little bit of cultural context, a little bit of background into the book of Ephesians. So this is one of Paul's prison epistles, right? Meaning Paul wrote this while yet you're with me this morning. That's great. There are three different ideas of which prison he would have been in or where he might have been during this time. The first one is that some people think that he might have been in Caesarea. Right when he wrote this. Another one is, is an unproven one of, of a possible um, imprisonment in Ephesus. Right? But the one that most scholars will hold to, and I think um, has the most supported evidence, would be that it's during his first Roman imprisonment, about 60 AD. This is after he had already visited Ephesus. And if you turn to Acts chapter 19 in your Bible, you can read a little bit of that encounter. And there were some things happening in Ephesus that we see in Acts 19. Demon possession. Magic was being practiced. People were against the believers, the followers of Christ. And, and understanding all of that gives us a little bit of background into this letter that's written. We see at the end of Ephesians that this letter was delivered by someone by the name of Tychicus. Tychicus. Same one that delivered what we would call the book of Colossians. And you can see some similarities if you take time to read Colossians and Ephesians. And there's so much, as my friend said, so much to be loved, lived, celebrated, rejoiced over in the book of Ephesians. But, but I think the main theme that we're going to see and we're going to work through is that we're reminded again and again of the oneness that the Gentiles and the Jews have in Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul starts by explaining who he is. This is my name. I'm Paul. But, it, but it's not just that. He, he explains his identity here. Right? My name is Paul. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. His identity is found in God alone. And then he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, when we oftentimes will think of the word saint uh, in our cultural context, I don't know about you, but I think of the, the saints that the Catholic Church might mention, saint so-and-so and saint so-and-so, but that's not what Paul's talking about, right? As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, the word saint refers to anyone who is born again in Jesus Christ. So if you've given your life to Jesus this morning, you're a saint. It doesn't have to do with the way that we're necessarily living our lives. And, and here's why I say this. In, in 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, in Corinthians, Paul addresses the church in Corinth as saints. And if you have ever read 1 Corinthians, you'll know that the church in Corinth was not acting in our cultural context what we would call saints, right? Living very immoral lives. But yet they were born again in Jesus Christ. So they were saints. But I think what I, what I pull out of this, the most important thing is Paul claims his identity in the beginning. This is who I am. I am Paul and I am in Christ. 
Now, there was a football game last Sunday, right? The Steelers, no, I'm just kidding, the Redskins and the Eagles, right? It was a tough one. I say all that to say, if you ever go to the grocery store on Sunday, you'll see people wearing their their football jerseys, right? And they have the name on the back, and they're getting their groceries, getting ready for the game at 1 o'clock. And if you go back at 5, you can tell whose team won and whose team didn't win, right? Because if they still have their jerseys on, their team won. And if they took them off, their team lost. They identify with their football team. I'm I'm a Redskins fan. I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm an Eagles fan. I'm a Steelers fan. But if we lose, well, maybe I'm not going to mention that as much. Paul's identity was found in the one who never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I apologize for the screen. I, do you have the clicker in the back? It's on the front pew. See, these are things that I'll learn. I'll get it. I'm sorry. That way I can keep you guys with me here. Well, I spoke too soon. All right, we'll just keep going. Did it just skip a whole bunch? There we go. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and Paul's identity is found in Christ. And our identity must be found in Christ. If you find your identity in your boyfriend or girlfriend, in your fiancé, in your spouse, in your sports team, in a politician, in a celebrity, you will be disappointed. Not only will you be disappointed, but you'll be missing something. Paul quickly identifies in the beginning. This is who I am. Paul, and I'm in Christ. He then goes to two words. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember what I said in the introduction, this idea of, of Jews and Gentiles. Grace was a very common word for the Greek. Right? The word haris. Right? We would spell it charis. Grace to you. Now, what's a very common greeting for the Hebrew, for the Jewish? Peace. Shalom. Right? And so in in, in verse 2, Paul has already given us a little bit of an insight into what's coming in this beautiful letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus. Right? He says, Gentile, Jew, this is to you. He gives us a hint at a global gospel that's going to be explained, that goes beyond ethnicity, that reaches the soul of every single person. But that's just two verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's so much to be found in these seven verses. But what I don't want to do this morning is spend a lot of time talking about election or predestination. This is one of the passages where it's easy to begin the Calvinism, Arminianism, different discussions on, on, on what all of that looks like. And I don't want to go into that this morning. I think, let, let me summarize it by a quote by, from a man by the name of W.G. Blakey. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility, and, fr- and the free and universal offer of mercy are all found in Scripture. And though we are unable to harmonize them by our logic, they all ought to have a place in our minds. The Bible clearly teaches that God's completely sovereign. It also teaches that we are accountable for our own decisions and that we have free will. And so without going into the the whole election conversation this morning, I do think that what we have to do is take Paul at what he's telling us. That God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What's clear through these seven verses is Paul is reminding the believers in Ephesus of how great their God is and how much their God loves them. But we can get lost sometimes in the election conversation. So we're not going to take that this morning. Even though it would be a lot of fun. There's a word here that's used. It's the word adoption. We've been adopted into the family of God. Been made sons. And what's important is a deeper understanding into which it was written. There were two components to look at when thinking of Roman law and adoption. Uh, The first thing that had to happen when someone was adopted is that the relationship between the biological father and the son that was being adopted had to end. And the second thing was that the biological father lost all control over any decisions made to the son. And God says, listen, I've adopted you into my family. Sin has no more control over you. You're my son. You're my son. Not only are you my son, but I chose you before the foundation of the world. Knowing every mistake you would ever make. Every time you would raise your fist at heaven towards me but I love you anyways. Galatians 4, 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's important for us to gain to understand that concept. See, so in the beginning, Paul says, listen, I'm in Christ. And I'm writing to you who are saints who are faithful in Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this, that God's love for you is so great that even though he knew everything that you would do in your life, he loves you anyways. He wants you to be in his family anyways. He wants you to bear his name. 
to shine his light. There's an author by the name of Brendan Manning, the late Brendan Manning. And I uh, don't always agree with everything every author writes, but this quote in and of itself is such a beautiful thing, and I think it's so important we understand it. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. Where is your identity found today? It's a great question that we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Lord, am I finding my worth? Am I finding my value? Am I, fi- am I living my life for this or am I living it for you? Am I finding myself in you? Am I resting in you? Every other identity is an illusion. And when we think about it, when you, when you truly think about your life and you go back and you look at the mistakes you've made, I, I know personally, for, for me, I, I have made Mistake after mistake in my life. Somebody say amen, right? Mistake after mistake. And I look back over my life sometimes and I think, uh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I live like that? And what the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to define ourselves by our mistakes. And what Paul's pointing out, one of the things, one of the many things Paul's pointing out in Ephesians chapter 1, is that our identity is not found in our mistakes. It's found in the one who took our mistakes to Calvary. Define yourself as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. See, we should be so awestruck in our lives that God knows us by name, that he knows how many hairs are on your head, that he cares enough to listen to your prayers individually. I mean, who are we? But yet God's love for us is so personal, so individual, so great that it's beyond all of our limit and understanding. That's how big your God is, and that's how much your God loves you. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Check out the process that we see here. In him, when you heard the word of truth, you heard it, meaning someone he had to speak it, right? You heard the word of truth. You believed in him, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The gospel message. You heard it. You believed it. You surrendered your life over to God and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This this term sealing is one that is such a beautiful picture of how God's love and how, how God has sealed you until the day of your inheritance. It's the same word that's used when talking about in Matthew 27, 66, talking about the tomb being sealed, right? 
Remember, they put Jesus in and they sealed the tomb. Why? They didn't want anyone coming in there. The same word that's also used in Revelation 23 when talking about how God will seal the pit and Satan cannot come out. You know, if God seals something, nothing can break it. There's another word that's used here, and it's the word guarantee. Now, guarantee doesn't mean much to us anymore, does it? As a matter of fact, uh, Sarah and I, uh, a couple years ago, we hit a deer with a car, totaled our one car, we had to get another car. And... Uh, there was a warranty or a guarantee, right? That this car was going to last up until such and such a time. And if it doesn't, we're going to replace it. But it was temporary, right? There was a beginning and there was an end. It only lasted for so many months, right? We're almost there. We have a couple thousand miles so, uh, left on that warranty. So uh, we have to make sure we, we just do little trips everywhere right now. No, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, the, the warranty is, is something that we all look for. I bought a phone on eBay not long ago. It was a used phone, new to me, and I had a 30-day money-back guarantee. You have 30 days to check out this phone and make sure it works, but on day 31, there's no more guarantee. We've been guaranteed our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, right? So it doesn't run out. It doesn't end because when the guarantee is over, you've already inherited what God has promised for you to inherit. See, when God guarantees something, when God seals something, nothing will take that away. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The seal guaranteed to the day of redemption. And we're reminded of this in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you are God's. I am God. Nothing can take that away. Discouragement comes in our lives oftentimes. We identify with other things. We find our worth in other things. Only to be let down, but nothing can separate us from that love of God. Even if you decide to become a Cowboys fan after being an Eagles fan for a long time, I don't think there's any worse form of treachery Paul closes chapter 1 with these words. For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This morning, the sermon is titled, A Prayer for Open Eyes. A Prayer for Open Eyes. 
And, and, and at the end of this, end of chapter one, as, as Paul has explained, here's who I am. Here's how much God loves you and who you are. You're adopted as sons into the family of God. He, he says this, my prayer for you is that your, the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened. That the eyes of your hearts will be opened. Now we know, we know that there are things that happen that we cannot see in this world, right? You remember the story of, of uh, Gehazi, right? And the armies that surrounded Elijah. And Elijah prayed for his servant, for his eyes to be opened. And when his eyes were open, all of a sudden he could see the armies of God. Paul says, my prayer for you is that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened. I think it speaks to how much God wants our hearts. That we can truly see what is God's great love for us. That we can truly see how much God cares for us and how much it means to be adopted into the family of God. May your eyes be open to that. May you understand that. And may you see how great His power is toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. See, God's seeking our hearts. This morning. Ten weeks, the book of Ephesians. What I'd like you to do this morning is consider to accept the challenge that I would like to give you. Paul writes that his, his prayer for the saints is that their eyes will be open, the eyes of their hearts will be open to what God has for them. Ephesians has six chapters. My challenge to you is that you read the book of Ephesians once a week for the next 10 weeks. Six chapters. You could read one a day. You could sit down. You could read it all at once. It might take you an hour, maybe less, depending on how fast of a reader you are. But can you give me one hour a week to read through the book of Ephesians? Listen to it on the Bible app as you drive to and from work. While you're out working, put it on your headphones. One time a week. The letter to the church in Ephesus. Engage in that. Ask God. Say, Lord, here I, my, my, the eyes of my heart are open. I, I want you to work. I want you to speak to me, Lord, that I may see what you have. Can you imagine in ten weeks you'll be able to say you've read the book of Ephesians ten times? And I guarantee you that you will look at it completely differently after reading it ten times than after reading it once. God's love for us is so great, is so powerful, that it can't be explained in mere words. He sent his son to die, showing us how much he loves us. Where is your identity found this morning?
Let's pray together.